theyeshiva.net. Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome, Baruchim Abayim, to the regulars and to all of our guests. We're on uh, Samach Dalad, the first column, the, lo- the first line on the top. And we've been exploring, in the language of the, of the Maimer, of the Balatanya, the symptom that is necessary between the world of Seichel and the world of Midas, which is going to elaborate more on, meaning the uh, tremendous transformation between uh, an idea and what we would call an emotion. Even though one emerges from the other, but that emergence requires a transformation of the seichel into what he calls a parsa. There's like a tzimtzum. It's condensed. And there's like a space of transformation where it can metamorphosize itself from an idea, which is called seichel, to a mida, which is an emotional sensation or an emotional experience. So he continues, there are many different mechitzas, many different partitions. They're all called parsa. Parsa is the translation in Aramaic of a mosach, which is a veil. Just as there's a partition between the world of seichel, the world of ideas, the world of midas, the world of emotions. There's also a, pars- a partition between the world of midas, and here he's referring to the way it's in the nimshal, the way it is above Bahashem in godliness, where there's the highest world known as the world of Atzillus. So there's the parsa between seichel and midas, and then there's the parsa between the midas and the next worlds, which are Briya, Yitzira, Asiya, lower worlds. Another parsa. We see this also by a person. A person's internal emotions are often concealed. The only way another person knows about them are through words, through verbal communication. There's no way you can know what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling if I don't tell you. The words become the containers that capture the emotion for another person. The only way you could know what I'm experiencing inside is through words. But the words themselves, their very nature, is remote from the hashpa, from the flow of any particular entity whether it's an emotion of love or an emotion of fear, an emotion of attraction, an emotion of rejection, whatever the emotion is, I'm glad, I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm terrified, I'm, 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 I'm in love, I'm feeling so close to you. Letters themselves can be vehicles for anything. They're, they're basically what's called doimim. Doimim is like an example of inanimate matter. It's called doimim, minerals. There's doimim tzemeh, chaymedaber. They can be used for anything. So the oisis themselves are very remote from the emotion, and yet they become the vehicles of transportation. So letters become a parsa, they become a partition. But the transformation of midas from me to you goes through a transformation. And that transformation is through oisis, letters. And that's why they will reveal, but they will also conceal. They will contain. That's what he's saying. It's lahavdil. It creates a parset. It makes a mechitza between the earth, the way it is in the midas themselves, and the way it comes across and is transported to another person. There's a certain concealment there because the oasis are from a different realm and to- totally. The oasis are not by definition emotional. They're just letters. They're just words that could become vehicles of transportation. So in the language of Yecheskel, they're also called the Kerach, the ice, which is on top of the heads of the Chayas HaKodesh. Yecheskel says in chapter 1 of the prophet Ezekiel, Yecheskel, Perek Aleph, that I saw a Roshi HaChayas on top of the 
what he calls Chayis, which is a symbol of angels, the holy, sacred beings. I saw a, a firmament, Ke'en HaKerech of awesome ice glaciers. And he explained that that was a metaphor, that uh, Chayis represents a certain, a certain reality and a certain energy. And on top of them, there is a Kerach, because the flow from what is higher than the Chayis to the Chayis comes through Kerach, which represents the Tzimtzum, the condensing of water into ice, which is from water. But ultimately, it's condensed into what we call kerach ice, both externally and also internally, because the molecules, when they are in water, are completely in disarray, very chaotic. And then in, in ice, the molecules of water become very organized, and that's what we call condensed, extremely organized and orderly. Uh, set, literally, if you could microscopically look at them, they're set up in an orderly fashion, one molecule near the other, which represents the fact that it's, it can now go down to a lower place which could contain, which could contain the Mayim, which wouldn't be able to contain it without the Kerach. So before we said that the Kerach and the Chayas is Chayas is Midois, and in order to get from Seichel to Midois, you have to have Kerach. Now he's saying to get from Midois to another person, you need the Kerach called Dibur. So he says, yeah, because when we say Chayas HaKadosh, it doesn't mean one thing. There's different types of levels of what Chayas HaKadosh represents. Ha'alef, ha'nikri be'zoyer, chivani loyin. Sometimes the Zoya will speak about the higher animals, the higher angels. Chivani loyin means the Chayas Eloyes, the higher types of Chayas. Ve'hein b'chinis midas datzilas. Generally, it's a metaphor for the world of emotions, the way they are in the highest divine world called datzilas. Ha'bez, the Zoya calls chivan tatoyin. Lower levels of Chayas. Shebebri yitzir these are the Midas in the lower worlds, Bria and then Yitzira, and Sirikamay Machina Michal, Machina Gavriel. This is like the camp of Michal, Angel Michal, Gavriel. Malachim is a metaphor for Midas, for, for emotional experiences. Like Michal represents Ava and Gavriel represents Yira. And this is below Malchus of Atzillus. In other words, this is the world of Bria, and then the world of Yitzira, and the world of Asiya. The Malachim generally are not associated with the world of Atzillus. So Kumar Shekasov, Yecheskel speaks about Hachayis, Noisei says Hakisei. The Chayis, the angelic beings, carry carry the throne, the Kisei HaKavoid, which the Kisei HaKavoid in Kabbalah is a metaphor for Olam HaBriya. And the Adam on the Kis is a metaphor for Olam HaTzilas. And the Chayas is a metaphor for Olam HaYitzira. So Yecheskel was speaking symbolic language. The Chayas, we said, are Malachim. But the, the Merkava, which is on top of the Chayas. But that's where the Arab, the Shor... No, the Malachim are the Merkava. The Malachim are like what we're calling a chariot here, are the Malachim. Yeah, they are the Merkava. That's generally associated with the world of Yitzira. The throne, which is on top of the Merkava, which we call Kisei HaKavit, is associated with the world of Bria. The Adam, who sits on the Kisei, is associated with the world of Atzillus. In the world of Kabbalah. So you have the Chayos, HaKadosh, the way they are, below Atzillus, or Bria, or the Yitzira. So then you have the way the Midos are, in Atzillus themselves, which are much higher level of Chayos. Uki Yadua, Shepchines Midos da Atzillus, Shehen Chesed Gvuratiferes, the Midas in the world of Atzillus, which are generally Chesed and Gvur and Tiferes, Sha'avis, Hayumer Kavalahem, the Avis, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, were chariots for these Midas. Avram Avinu was a conduit for the divine energy of Chesed, and Yitzchak was a conduit for the divine energy of Gvura, and Yaakov was a conduit for the divine energy of, of compassion, of empathy, or of beauty, Tiferes. Nikre Merkafteilah is called in the Ksavim of Kabbalah and Arizal and so forth, Merkafna means the higher chariot. Vidalad Machanos, and then you have the four camps of Malachim. Michal, Gavriel, Rafal, Uriel, Vichuli, Nikrai, Merkavatata, they're called the lower chariot. They're all chariots, but it's, there's different states of Merkavah. That's why it's not a contradiction that we speak about ice in one realm, and then we speak about ice in another realm. On the heads of both levels of Chayas, there is something called the glacier, which is the Tzimtzum. A metaphor would be the two partitions that we spoke about. One is from the world of Seichel to the world of Midas. And then we spoke about the second partition from the world of Midas to the world of Dibur, communication to the outside. One is internal, all internal within the person's own system. Person vis-a-vis himself or herself your own inner experience, and then there's the way it's transported 
to another person over here, there's a new parsa, there's a new partition, there's a new parsa that the Midas also have to go through. Even after the Seichel were transformed into Midas, now the Midas have to go through another transformation in order to be communicated to somebody outside of me, who's outside of my realm and doesn't feel my experience. <laughs> and as always, a Tzimtzum requires a sacrifice of the integrity of the, of the totality of the experience the way it is inside, because all communication, as revealing as it is, is also concealing. Because words are containers. And because they're containers, they reveal, but they also limit. They contain it in a certain, in a certain realm. Like sometimes a person will say, I have no words, I have no words. Not because I don't have an experience. Because the experience is too deep, the experience is too real. And I, 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 don't, have, uh, I don't have the full words. I didn't manage yet to allow it to go through the tzimtzum. That, that, takes, that takes a lot. Sometimes, you know, when, when, a, when a concept, we see it also intellectually, when a concept is disorganized in your system, you can't say it. Reb Chaim Briski used to say, I said, felt in Hasbara, felt in Havana. What did he mean? What he meant by that was that uh, if it would be clear in your mind, you would be able to communicate it. But sometimes you think you know it, you don't really know it. To speak scientific language, the chemicals are in disarray. That's the water. And if you want to get it organized, you have to turn it into kerach. And that's when it gets organized, and then you could say it, then you could write it. So sometimes a person thinks they know, and then somebody says, could you explain it to me? I, I don't know what, I don't know what, I, I can't explain it. So sometimes it comes because of, that Reb Chaim wasn't talking about, he was talking more in terms of lambdas and, and, and learning. Sometimes you have such a deep experience, you don't have yet the words for it, because it's maybe too real. It's too real even for you. In terms of learning and explanation, he said, if you would understand it well in an organized fashion, you would be able to explain it. So that's the, that's the kerach that represents the parsa between midos and in the nimshal between midos of Atsilas and Bri which is more projection. It's more outward. The world of Atsilas is the inner world of Hashem, and Bri is, so to speak, a world in which there's creation, there's formation, there's action, there's a reality that experiences itself as outside of his own reality. In Atzilus itself, you also have both of these madregas. You'll have in Atzilus itself what's called the pnimi is the more internal side and the more chitzonius, just like you have Atzilus and Briyitzirasiyah. You'll have the person himself and you have the outside of the person. In the person himself, you have internal spaces and outer spaces within the person himself. So he says, even within the source, you'll have pnemis and chitzenes. Since the world of Atzilus is called fart, it's called an oilam, a world. So anything that exists in the physical world is because it first exists in the divine world. Everything in this world ultimately evolves from the spiritual state. So if anything exists in this world... It has to exist in Oilam Hatzilus. There's nothing. He says, he says, So the four parts that our planet is comprised of, Doimim, which is inanimate matter, mountains, earth, water, all the minerals, Tzimeach, which represents the world of botany, the world of vegetation, Chai, which is the animal kingdom, and Medaber, which is what they like to call the homo sapien, or the human race, is called medaber. Those are generally the hierarchy that our planet deals with. You have the daimim, you have the tzemech, you have the chay and the medaber. I'm talking about on earth itself. In a higher space, you have the whole world of the planets, which he's not referring to here. But generally, on, our, on earth, on, 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 on the earth itself, when you remain within that, our atmosphere, so you have daimim, and you have tzemech, and you have chay and medaber, You'll have this in every world, but the way it's in Olam Hasi in our world is not the way it's in Olam Hayitzir or Bri or Natsilis, because it evolves from a spiritual energy into physical incarnation. As we explained before about snow and ice, that all of these are physical manifestations of energy. So all the four levels of Daim Tzameh exist in every world, including in Atsilis. Ubechlal generally, hu oir vikli ulevush vehechel. In Atzillus, is the difference of light, vessel, garment, and chamber. Oir, keli, levush, and hechel. Oir is the energy. Keli is that which contains the energy. Levush is a garment, which is an outer layer, and you could detach yourself from. And hechel is like a home in which you live. 
Within each person you'll have your oir. Your oir is your core energy. Keli is the vessels that contain your energy for yourself. Levush are things that you attach yourself. You put them on and you can take them off. So an example of oir would be the soul. Keli would be the guf. And you don't remove one from the other. The soul and the body remain permanent features that are connected throughout a person's life till 120 and hopefully more. That's, then you have the lavush, you have your clothes, you take them on, you take them off. What I'm wearing today is not what I wore yesterday, it's not what I wear tomorrow. And then you have, so the lavush is, so to speak, more alien to you, it's more external. And then you have the home in which you live, which is even more external. A person could sit in the same lavushim for many years, sometimes people do that. Especially in the olden days, sometimes people wore one lavush for many, many years. And then the bias, you could live in one bias your whole life. But generally speaking, the bias is also a lavush. It's also around you. But it's much more distant than a garment. A garment has to fit you. It has to suit you. I can't wear your pants. I can't wear your shirt. I can't wear your jacket because of different sizes. The bias is much larger than the person. So these are four dimensions within the person himself. There's the er, there's the kli, there's lavush, there's the bias. In Atzillas, that's the metaphor for daimem tzemeh chayim edabit. There's the er of Atzillas, the keli of Atzillas, the lavush of Atzillas, the bias of Atzillas. Kamashi Kosov, as the Pasuk expresses it, Kitiferis Adam Lashavas bias, as the beauty of a person who sits in a home. Vim Kane Pchinis Hechalis Datsilis. So this fourth level, the Hechal, the chamber, the home, Nikra Chivan Tatayan, Be'enich Pchinis Pnimi Yisa Oidis Datsilis, Nikra Chivan Elayan. So within Atsilis itself, the lower Chivan Tatayan, the lower Chayas, would be like the Hechal relative to the Ur which is the core pnimi, is the internal self. Just like in a person himself, you have that which is your own air, your own keli, your own levush, and your own bias. And the question is, which layer of yourself do you identify with? Sometimes all I know about myself is my garments or my home. Sometimes I know my keli. Sometimes I can get to know my air, which would be the pnimius. It's one of the famous chelem stories about... Uh, it was a Jew from Chelem that um, he was traveling. And he was traveling all night by train until he would get off at the stop of the train station that would ultimately take him to the Polish city of Chelem. So he went to sleep in his cabin. He went to sleep. And he asked the conductor to wake him up at four in the morning when the train would be getting close to the stop that he would have to get off. In his cabin, there was also a Russian general who also went to sleep. When the conductor woke him up, it was still pitch dark outside, and there was no light there. So instead of putting on his own clothes, he put on the clothes of the Russian general. No. So he looked very different. He comes home, and his wife sees him. She says, Yankel, what happened to you? You went crazy. He says, what's the matter? Just take a look in the mirror. Takes a look in the mirror, and he sees a, a handsome Russian general. So the, <laughs> the husband tells the wife, yeah. I always said that these Polish conductors are, are morons. They're foolish. She says, why? She says, he woke up the Russian conductor instead of me. So uh, it's not a chelem story, but sometimes in life it's not such a chelem story. It's a person looks at, confuses the levush, the outer self, with the core self. Now here in the anecdote it's actually about the garments, but when we say here garments, we're not just talking about physical garments. That's also true in life. Sometimes people identify their value based on the levushim. It's a real thing for people. They wear certain clothes, and when they see that they're wearing certain clothes, now they acquire value. That's how they identify their value. That's how they distinguish themselves from other people. A suit they're wearing, a hat they're wearing, a watch they're wearing, shoes they're wearing, and then there's a car they're driving. That's like the bias, the home they're living in. Now, obviously, somebody who lives on that level, it's very, it's very hard to be authentic because you don't know who the person is. Like, who are, who are you? I know what type of suit you're wearing. A verbistu, who are you? So this is on a very external level, and then it goes deeper and deeper. There's identifying the bias, there's identifying the lavurs, identifying the keli, and then there's identifying the kivayachal in a much more transcendent way. In Atzillus itself, you have all these. That would be the daimim, and then the tzemeyach, and then the chayim, and the medaber. The heichel, what he calls, and the levush, and the keli, and the ur. So between each one, there's the kerach, there's the tzimtzum. 
they're not really contradictory to each other, but each one needs a symptom, a, a, a process of condensing and restriction for the energy to flow from one place to the other. So, so just as there's the parsa in the, in the external layer to transform something from one state to another state completely, like from water to ice, the same is true on a much deeper level in the Pneumis itself, there's a Kerach. And that's why we spoke that there's the Kerach between Seichel and Midas, and then there's the Kerach between Midas and Dibur. There's the Kerach within Atzillus itself, between a higher and lower, and then there's the Kerach between Atzillus and Briya, and between Briya and Yitzir and Yitzir and Asiya. In other words, every state, is when we speak about Parsais, just like in the Mishkan, the Besamikdash, there were Yud Gimel Paraychas. It says there were 13, there were 13 partitions from Kadesh HaKadoshim to the Heichel. There was one Parsa, one Paraychas. Because the state of consciousness in the Kadesh HaKadoshim was not the same state of consciousness in the Heichel. But then from the Heichel to the other rooms, there were more Paraychas and there were more curtains and veils. And each veil represented that the energy becomes condensed, it becomes restricted, it becomes concealed, and it allows space for a new reality to emerge from the previous reality. What's called an Ur Shaltulda, a, a childlike reflection. It's a reflection of it. And that reflection is a much more limited form of expression, which is called a tzimtzum that allows it to be contained and experienced in a new reality, in a new space, with a new identity, for, to a new audience, relative on the state of consciousness that we're dealing with. The level of partition that deals with, with a more deeper level, I knew this is... This is intimated in the famous Pasuk in Eiv. In Eiv, the Sefer of Eiv, the book of Job, where Eiv suffers a lot and he, he's arguing with his friends, are arguing with him that he is, uh, he is a sinner and that's why he's suffering. And Eiv argues that he's not a sinner and it's not true. And finally, after 37 chapters, after 36 chapters, 37 chapters, Hashem reveals himself to Eiv and and Eiv wants to know the reason for his suffering. And instead of answering him, we spoke about this a few times in our Amunah Shurim, Hashem just, in a few chapters in Eiv, I think with, beginning with Perik Lamed Ches, or Lamed Zayin Lamed Ches, he starts asking Eiv questions. And he opens up and he says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And a few chapters, he just goes through questions, question after question. And one of the big questions is, Mi beten mi from whose womb, from whose womb did ice emerge from? And who's the father of frost? And who's the mother of snow? And where did rain come from? And who's the progenitor of dew? Those are all the psukim deal with. In other words, were you there with me to create all of this phenomenon that everybody takes for granted? There's water. Where does water come from? Where did ice come from? Where did frost come from? Everything in the everything in the universe. That's what he basically, basically goes through a series of a few chapters. He speaks about animals, and he speaks about the climate, and he speaks about the planets. He speaks about astronomy, cosmology. So there's an expression there in Eir Perik Lamed Ches. Me beten me hakerach. From Vemens boich is the eyes geboring gevar. In other words, from whose womb me beten me whose womb yotzakerach came from your womb. Your womb produces 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 ice. So that's the Pashat Pshutishal Mikra, the literal interpretation. As always, there are deeper, deeper layers of interpretation, interpretation. That all the questions in Sefer Eev are not just questions, they're also insights into creation. In other words, the way the Rebbeinu Shalom asks his questions, he's also intimating the inner dynamics of creation. And in Svarim of Tairus Hanister, all the questions that Hashem asks Eev, where were you, who did this, the way he phrases the question, what well, is an expression? Shailas chacham chatzit tshuva, right? When a wise man asks a question, you already have half the answer. The question already shows how close the person is to the answer. So all the questions in Yehov are shtiklech answers. Also, what do we mean by answers? They're insights into the different processes of spiritual science and physics of creation. For example, this mibet and is not just a question. It's also a statement. Mi beten mi From the stomach of me, from the womb of me, 
Me means whom? Me, right? Me, Ela, whom? Yotze, that's what Kerach comes out. He says, what's Pshat? Hine Yadua, the Pirish me, Hainubchinus bina datsilus. There are two words in, in, in Lashon Kodesh for asking. There's ma and there's me. Ma is what? <laughs> me is who? <laughs> right? When Yaakov meets Yosef's children, what does he say? Me, Ela. Who are these? That's me. Chachma is called Koyach Ma. Moshe Benin says, V'nachnu Ma. What are we? There's a question of Ma, and there's a question of Me. Ma is what? Me is whom? On one level, Me is a much deeper question than Ma. Ma is what? Me is who? You already identify that there's a who. On a deeper level, it says in Zoya, Ma relates to Chachma, and Me relates to Bina. Ma is what? There's complete confusion. Chachem, mahu, mahu oimer. So again, mahu oimer means mahu. What does he say? Mahu oimer. There's an expression. Ma. That's what he says. Ma. There's a famous word. Chachem, mahu oimer. What you are, you express in your words. Rasha mahu oimer. Tam mahu oimer. Mahu oimer. Mahu, what he is, he says. People express themselves in their words, if you know how to read their words correctly. So you have to read it between the lines. So there's a question of ma, there's a question of me. That's, I think, the famous part of your the that that's why it's always, who are your omer, who are your omer, because it expressed the real person. Yeah, who are your omer, yeah. He used to say this because this was who he was. So me is already... A much deeper question, a much uh, uh, a much clearer question, and that's why it relates to the world of bina, which is more concrete and and condensed, versus the word of the world of chachma, which is more fluid and nebulous. It's an epiphany. It's it's spontaneous. It's the seed of the father, versus the organized structure that the mother creates. So the zoya says, "Me, I know b'chinas b'zitzos k'moshe kasov yeshaya perik mem." There too, Yeshaya extols creation. He says, Who measures water in their fist? Who measures water in their fist and, and plans the heavens with a pinky? Me. And Yeshaya is expecting an answer. Right? He says, Who? Ask the question, Who? That's already a question of Bina. There's already a clear understanding. You're asking who, not just what. Ma, in a state of chachmam, just what. <laughs> I'm completely, I'm completely uh, lost, so to speak. I'm completely bottled. In Bina, there's already more of an identity. Huh? Wondering. Wondering, Wondering yeah. Ma. There's a, certain, there's a certain knowledge. Right? Me. The Zoya expresses itself a few places. Me, the Kaimalashayla. It's a me that stands. It lends itself to ask the question. I'm already aware enough to say, me, who is behind this? Not what, but who. Who is behind it? There's already a relationship. I can identify that there's somebody behind it. And therefore, I ask not ma, but me. Liyoiski habine bebchines yesh. Because Bina is already a state of yesh, more concreteness, and therefore there could be a question of, of me. Me beten me, yotza hakerach. From the womb of me. It's known in Eitzchayim. Now Eitzchayim is the main work of the Arizal. And the language there is always very enigmatic. It's, it's, it's code-like language. You'll see, an, you'll see an example of this. He's going to try to explain what the Arizal says. Darizal says the Mepchinis Shlisha Tachten, the Tiferes, the Ima, Nasabchinis Keser Lazo. That's the expression of Darizal. Just translation. The lower third of Tiferes of the mother becomes a crown for Zo. What this means is Tiferes. Tiferes is the first letter and the second letter. So the third, the lowest third of Tiferes, of Ima, of the mother, becomes a crown for Zoh, which is Zairampin. Now just a translation of the words before getting into the internal meaning of the word, just a translation of the words. There are ten spheres. These are the ten building blocks of creation. Three are cognitive, Chachma, Bina, Das, 
and seven are emotional and experiential. Chesed, Gvurit, Eferis, Netzach, Hoyd, Yisrael, and Malchus. There's Keser, which is above all of them. That's like the crown on top of the head. That would be like the skull that encompasses the brain. We learned earlier about Galgalta, the Gilgoylus. The skull, which is like the crown. It's literally a crown on the brain, the skull. And the space between the skull and the brain as neuroscience develops, that space, is the significance of it is extraordinary. It's not just the protective gear, which this brain needs protection, and it has amazing protection called the skull, but that skull itself represents profound potential and energy, and the space between the skull and the brain, then you have the brain itself, the mayach, as it's called, and you'll have the three kaiches, what we call chachba binadas, and then Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes, Natsach, Choyd, Yisoyed, and Malchus, which are known as Zah. Zah is the Eir Ampin, which means the small face. And the small face is, um, is the way that the Kabbalah speaks about the six Midas. From Chesed through Yisoyed, it's called the small face, in distinction to what's called Arech Ampin, which is the long face, which is the skull known as Keser, the crown on top of the head, that's called the long face. And then there's Moich and Chachma bin Adas, and then there's the Eir Ampin, the small face. Abba, the father in Zoyer, is Chachma. Ima, the mother, is Bina. Just like the father produces a seed of life, which is microscopically, you have there the fetus, but it's a tiny little seed that the father contributes. And then the mother must conceive it and absorb it, and then with her egg develop it. And over nine months, nine painstaking months, through a long and very intricate and extraordinary miraculous process, the seed and the egg form an embryo, which develops into a fetus, and after nine months, hopefully, Be'ezer Hashem into a full-fledged child, which then emerges. So Chachma is like the epiphany of an experience. It's like the shooting of a sperm, of the seed of life, as it's called a barak like a lightning. And then the mother, Bina, takes it and develops it and absorbs it. That's why Chachma asks Ma, and Bina asks me, right? Men ask what, and women ask so Chachma is Ma and Bina is me. That's Chachma and Bina. It's also called Abba and Ima. Chachma and Bina are the parents of the children. The children are the Midas, the emotions. Like we say, Eim Habanim Smecha. In Halal, the mother of the children is joyous. So Chachma is the father of the children because Chachma is the, the seminal point, like the seed of life. And then Bina is the mother of the children. The mother of the children is really responsible for the ultimate actualization because Chachma without Bina is fleeting experience. It goes nowhere. It's like a father without a mother. What, are you, what type of world are you going to have a fathers without mothers? We know what the world looks like with fathers without mothers. The mother ultimately, <laughs> the mother, the mother ultimately is the one who makes it happen. Chachma on its own in a person's life, it's fleeting. It's very inspirational when you have this flash of inspiration, but it doesn't go anywhere. It disappears as fast as it came in. You're walking in the street and you have this epiphany, this moment of clarity, but without the perspiration of Bina, without the feminine aspect of taking it and organizing it and concretizing it and developing it and dissecting it and turning it into something tangible, no child will be able to be born from that. So Chachma is the father and Bina is the mother. So Darizal has an expression and he says, Shlish hatachtain of tiferes di'ima nasa keser lezo. Which in simple English would mean the lowest level of bina, what he calls the lowest third of tiferes of bina, all the spheres are interconnected with each other. Everything has the aspects of the other as well. So the lowest level of bina becomes a crown, becomes the source of za of midas. The keser, just like Chachma and Bina has a keser, Midas also have a keser. They also have that which is above them, which you may not consciously feel in them, but is above them. So the lowest level of Bina, what he calls shlish hatachtoi, the lowest third of tiferes of ima. You have the highest third, you have the middle third, and then you have the lowest shlish, right? Like if you divide your body into three, there'll be the shlish hatachtoi, the lowest third of tiferes of Bina, becomes a keser, it becomes the crown for Midas. He's skipping Das. Uh, he's skipping Das to go straight to Midas. 
he should have in between Dina before you get to the to the Midos, he should have Das. That's a good question. Why is there no mention of Das here? So let's put that on hold for a moment, okay? But question noted. So this is partially the language that he uses. Now, what does this mean? What does this language mean? So the Balatanya says what it means is the crown that his mother has crowned him. A crown is on your head. Just like a nazer, a kesser, literally is on top of the head. It surrounds the head. It encompasses the head. So the Arizal is saying that this shlish hatachten, the lowest third of Tiferis of Bina, becomes a kesser on This crown is another parsa. A crown lay on the head, and it also protects the head. It covers the head. It covers the head. It's a separation between that which is above the head and the head itself. Again, this is the concept of kerach, a parsa, partition, which takes in the energy, conceals it, and also transports it. So when he says the, the, the kerach, the ice, comes me beten me from whose stomach? It's not just a question, it's also an insight. It comes me beten me. This tiferes of Bina is called beten me, the womb of me. What's pshat? Kiyadua. The train nikroyim chesed The two arms in the body are called chesed and gvur. The right arm is chesed, the left arm is gvur. Vegufa hu tiferes. The torso, the body itself, the center is called tiferes. Veikirem tzoyis guf I know The middle part, the center of the torso, the middle part of the guf. We would call the betten, the abdomen, the stomach, the womb. Vizel mi betten mi. That's the remez. Mi betten mi yotza kerach. Shibchines tiferes de ima. Misham nimchus pchines kasselazah. From the stomach of me comes out something that's called kerach. What does this mean? Me is a metaphor for bina. The stomach of bina is what? It's called tiferes. The right arm is chesed. The left arm is Gvura, and the stomach, the torso, is called Tiferes. From the stomach of, of, of Bina, Yotza HaKerach. That becomes the Parsa between the world of Seichel and the world of Midas, the world of Zah. Bezal mi beten mi, shibchines tiferes, di ima misham nimshach pchines gesluzah, vubchines haparsa, liyos al gabe hamoichin de zokam ebchines kerach kanal. This becomes the partition. That sits like a crown on top of the awareness of Zah, like ice, to transform the state of reality from the world of Chachman Bina to the world of Midas. Because it's two completely different realms. There's no Erech, there's no comparison between them. So you have to have the water condensed going through a Tzimtzum. The internal structure must be transformed in something called ice, in something called beten me. That's the keser of Zoh in order to go to that place. V'zeu mi beten me yotza hakerach. It's not just a question. From the stomach of me came forth ice. Shobchines hakeser lezoh. This is the crown that allows the transformation into midas. Shenikre b'chines haparsa kedimyon hakerach shalgabe roshe hachayis kanal. Like the ice that stands on top of the Rashi Hachayis. Here the Rashi Hachayis, Chayis would be Midas, Zah. And on their heads you have a Kerach, which allows a transformation from Seichel into Midas. That's what Arizal meant. Use that Torah as sowed in the Pasuk. We can understand actually Aldera and Istar from the Rosham to rejoin the Dio. You have all these emotions of pain with everything you're experiencing. But there's a big parsa between the Seichel, yeah. between the understanding and your... Right. 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 There's a huge parsa between the Seichel and the Midas. Now, I know this is very, very uh, cryptic, uh, to put it mildly, cryptic language. 
Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The child develops in the amniotic sac, which is filled with water. And then the water breaks, as they say. The water has to break. I have a problem with the word condensing. One problem? Condensing. Yeah. Because the water, when it becomes ice... Ice expands, right. You're right. Use the word solidify. Solidify, okay. Granted. The truth is, when he uses the word simsum here, he's actually referring to the microscopic, it's a pella here. Because when you learn it, he says that mayim goes through a simsum and it becomes kerach. And everybody wonders, kerach expands. Water expands. He's really talking about the, it's a pella. He's talking, it's a pella that, that he picked up on this, so to speak. He's speaking about the microscopic process. Where the, where the molecules are completely chaotic in water and they become extremely orderly and organized in kerach. In terms of what we see externally, you're right. From a liquid, it becomes solidifies. Which, I guess the word tzimtzum would mean in the sense of tzimtzum, not physical tzimtzum, that it becomes smaller, but tzimtzum solid. It, it's, it's, you could contain it. You can hold on to it. It doesn't. It doesn't trickle down. There's something solid here, which, in a way, that's what all symptom does. What symptom does is it freezes an idea, tangible, concrete, which always means it's more limited. It's actually more expensive. It's actually the real thing. Huh? It's also more expensive. It's, uh... In a way, it becomes more expensive in that world. Yeah, in that world, you can deal with it more. It's, it's, it's less elusive, it's less nebulous, right? Snow, it, 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 happens, it begins with vapor, it begins with moist, but it's much less tangible. And then the vapor and the moist, right, freezes and develops into ice crystals and becomes snowflakes in the clouds, which then comes out of the clouds and comes down as snow if the temperature down on Earth is the same temperature so it could still hold on to, to the snow. And if not, it will turn back into rain because it will melt if it's not... Uh, if it's not uh, freezing temperature or below freezing temperature. Let me try to give one, one um, maybe illustration or explanation of the nekudah that's being conveyed, at least one aspect of it. At least one, 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 one symptom. People often use a language, I feel, this is what I'm feeling. But when we say, I'm feeling something, it could mean two completely different things. And I'll give you a very simple illustration. A person will say, I'm not feeling up to going to this place. There's an event, there's a a reception or some event I was invited to. I'm not really feeling up to it, meaning I'm just drowsy or, or lazy or exhausted or tired or you know, not in the mood of seeing people. I just need my own energy. I need to stay in my own house. <laughs> you know that feeling, I'm sure. Some of you know that feeling very well. Especially if you're an introvert, right? A person will say, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling something. And what they're really describing is a very physical sensation. It's almost like my body is speaking to me. And my body says, I am interested. I'm not interested. That's one type of feeling that we talk about. But let's talk about now a very different type of feeling. And people's language often confuse the two. And it probably creates a lot of confusion in people's lives. A person will say, you know, a close friend of mine is making a wedding tonight. They're marrying off their youngest daughter, their youngest son, a close friend of mine. Uh, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I had a hard week. All I want to do is stay home, and hit the sack early. But I feel like I should go to the wedding. I feel like. Now, what does that mean? You actually don't feel like going to the wedding. You feel like not going to the wedding. Here, feeling is describing something else completely. What is it describing? It's describing a belief. Very good. A value, a conviction. I feel like. I feel. I actually don't feel like it. I feel the exact opposite. Sometimes I say I'm feeling, and what I'm describing is a very physical sensation, not a value, just a sensation. I'm just not feeling up to it. It may be the right thing, right? Just like I'm feeling an attraction to this piece of food or to this person or to this website. 
It may be a stupid thing, it may be destructive, but that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling very angry, I'm feeling furious, I'm feeling glad. Maybe it's superficial, but that's what I'm feeling. That's what my body is telling me. For good or for bad, that's what I'm just feeling. That's one type of feeling. In many ways, I'm just describing a sensation. But the sensation in my body, almost a physical sensation. I feel the knots in my stomach. I feel the exhaustion in my, in my chest. I feel my body shutting down. I feel whatever. And then there's a completely different type of feeling. A belief, a value, a conviction. I feel that this is the right thing to do. I actually don't feel it's the right thing to do. I know it's the right thing to do. You see the difference? But we say, I feel like I should go, right? I feel like I should go. Yeah, I feel like I should go to the shir. I feel like I should go to shul. I feel like I should go to my child is having an event in school. You're interested in that event, yeah? You're interested in the dinner or whatever, the banquet or the bar mitzvah, the shavu brachas, as they say, you're interested in it like you're interested in last year's snow. Today's snow, you're interested in because we're learning about it. But farayarik shnei. So why are you going? Because they, they, so one day because the, your wife told you you have to go, you have to go. So why are you listening to your wife? Because yeah. I'm not going to answer that question. It's also an instinct, right? But a person will say, I feel like, or people will say, I feel like I have to go. What do you mean you feel like you have to go? Are you going to be penalized if you don't go? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> okay, so the social penalization, I understand that I feel like I have to. It's my conscience. My conscience is telling me I feel. In other words, it's not a sensation. It's actually an awareness. It's a belief. It's a conviction. The word for it is, it's a value. It's a value. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. Sometimes a family member is making a simcha. You have to go for a whole long extended weekend, right? You have to pack your bags and drive to Canada or go to Florida or go to Los Angeles, wherever you're going. It's a long week. You know it's going to be complex and it's going to be a headache, but you're not going to say no. Not only because of consequences, because you feel it's the right thing to do. What's the difference between these two things? Very often... If we don't have the former feeling, if we don't have the sensation, we delegitimize it. And if we do have a sensation, we give things legitimacy. In other words, if I'm not feeling in my body something, we often decide it's meaningless. And if I am feeling, then it becomes the most meaningful thing. When really all that is, is, all that is, is a translation of a value into a physical sensation. And this is one of the great, probably one of the great traps for many a human life. Both in the positive and in the negative. Huh? If it's an external one, probably a real one, not, but if it's an external one, if a person doesn't... Uh, a value of the Sahara, I guess. It's usually, I wouldn't call it a value, it's usually much more external. Very often, we define the value of something, whether positive or negative, in the terms of what we would call a sensation, a physical sensation. And if I'm feeling it, that becomes the most important thing. And if I'm not feeling it, it becomes the most important thing. Even though it's not the most important thing. It's exciting when you have it, but it's really just a certain way in which awareness is experienced. It came down all the way into the gulf. But we are often aware of the conflict. We'll say, I really don't feel like right. going, but I feel I should go. Right. I don't feel like going, but I feel I should go. And often when you follow that value, you feel like a hypocrite. I'm not at this wedding. I don't want to be here. I come in. I'm like, I'm sick. I hate this. I'm getting out of here. Why did my wife slap me here? I'm not walking in. And then you're on your phone for the rest of the time, right? What did you do? Because I don't feel it, I delegitimize it. Why? Why? You have a value. <laughs> on the contrary, you come home. Those of you who have little children, you come home. Your children need you. You're not interested. Ever happens? 
You're exhausted. You're not interested. You would love to be, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about other people. You're not interested. You're interested in yourself. Right? You push it, not interested. Your body is telling you, I don't want this. What happens now? So some act out on that feeling. And they say, I'm not in the mood of you. Go to your room. I'll meet you at your bar mitzvah. Have a good day. Yeah. Others will tell themselves, what's my value? My value is, I want to be here for my child. Right? I'm not feeling it. So you'll sit down on the floor, or you'll spend an hour, or two hours, or three hours with your child, as your body is telling you that you're not feeling it. And then you'll come, and you'll say, I'm a fake. I'm a phony. Why? Because you give much more credence to your external feeling in the body than to your value. Why? Why is a value not true? In many ways, I would argue that it's much greater. Because even though you didn't feel it in your body, you actually followed what you believe is right, even though it came hard. It actually means you're closer to your child. Because if you're feeling it, then it's selfish too. I love it. Your wife asks you to do something and you're all excited about it, right? Let's go out to eat, whatever. Something that you like. So you're doing it for her, you're just doing it for you. But what happens if I'm actually not in the mood? I'm not in the mood, I don't feel it. But I feel it's the right thing to do. Not because I feel it, I don't feel it, I know it. It's a value. In many ways it demonstrates a deeper connection. A deeper connection. But people don't see it that way. They'll call themselves liars and hypocrites and lowlifes because I, I don't feel it. Because I'm feeling the opposite. And, but that, but that's, that's not the case. It's beautiful when you can have that sensation all the way down to the lowest level that the nails are excited about your sister's chasana. But sometimes your nails are not excited. <laughs> So does that make it less valuable? Sometimes it makes it more valuable. You're typhus what I'm saying? The second level is called maturity. Yes, yes. Huh? So it's like it's maturity. Yeah, it's maturity. You have an opportunity for the kids. Yeah. They're young. Grab it. It's not going to stay there forever. Anybody who has a little seichel knows in a few years. Yeah? Your kid is not going to let you close, close to him. He has friends that are much more interesting than you. Huh? <laughs> One way or the other, right? But, but is a person always in the mood? Who's in the mood? People are tired, they're stressed out, they're exhausted. Comes home at night, you want to be yourself in your room, read, sleep, whatever you want to do. Learn, whatever you want to do. But very often in life, what happens? Both in the positive and in the negative. If a person is not having a certain sensation... And they only have a value, they often delegitimize it. On the contrary, what about the opposite? What if I'm having a very big sensation in the negative? That sometimes takes me over. Why does it have to take you over? It's just the way your body is speaking. So your body doesn't get all the information. But sometimes a person will say, I can't follow my value. I don't feel it. If I follow my value, I'm a liar. You're not a liar. You see how important this is in life? It's a very, very important idea in life. Because people give themselves bad rap. For no reason. Because it's impossible that every good thing in life you're going to feel on every level. It just doesn't work that way. Sometimes there's going to be parts in you that are not going to be agreeable. That's how it is. We are not wholesome, impeccable, flawless people. We are fragmented very often. So what? As long as I can identify what matters, what's real to me, what's valuable, I'm good. That's called a life of nobility. A life of nobility doesn't mean a life in which everything is always agreeable. So what I just said was basically one English translation (laughs) in English of one of the ramifications of what we just learned. That to get from Seichel to Midas requires a tremendous tzimtzum, a tremendous parsa. And the water freezes in between. The world of Seichel, what does the world of Seichel here mean? You see the connection? The world of Seichel here is the world of awareness. It's the world of perception. It's the world of conviction. It's your belief system. It's what, it's what you understand. It's very clear the value of going to your sister when she's making a wedding. It's your sister or your best friend. Or going to the weekend of Shevabrachas for your family. It's your family. It's your parents. 
or spending time with your children or spending time with your wife or not blowing up. Even though you want to blow up, you want to break the windows, you want to freak out, you want to do some somersaults. <laughs> Every person has a nakuda where uh, I'm done, don't worry. <laughs> so, right? Everybody understands the value of it. Sometimes, okay, you can sometimes get into an argument, is it valuable, is it not valuable? But ultimately, you know what's valuable. You could start deluding yourself, right? But unless, you're, unless a person is very sick or dysfunctional, or it's very often, very, the cycle could be very clear. So now we expect, if I know it, I should feel it. Why? Why? You're such a righteous saint that by you there's no symptom ever. There's nothing. It goes straight from saying, woo, it's a midas. It's an ishpashet. Don't be afraid or ashamed of it. It's a very intense process. It's a very intense process. The water can just flow seamlessly from the highest state to the lowest state. It can't just come down from the clouds down here always in the same state. You need the right temperature. You need the right climate. You know, sometimes it's snow up there. It rains in the middle because it melts. And then it's frozen again down here and suddenly it shows up as sleet. What happened? It's snow, went back to water, went back to ice. It comes down as sleet. For it to come down as snow a whole way, you have to have a uniform climate or at least uniform in the sense that it's below freezing point. Sometimes you'll have snow, then it melts into rain and it comes down as rain but it becomes a sheet of ice. Why? Because the crust of the earth is so cold that when the water collides with the earth, what happens? It freezes. So now you have rain that turns into a sheet of ice, which is called frozen ice. It goes through that process. It goes through a process of transformation. That's called the process of kerach. It comes from the water. All middas comes from seichel. But it's not the same language anymore. It's a different language. And to get into that language, there's a whole process that happens. That process is not always available right away. It's a very intense and intricate process. And hence, a person ought not to be discouraged in one way or the other, not positively and not negatively. Sometimes they have an awareness, and in the world of Middas, it's completely not there. Sorry, I have no feeling for this whatsoever. So what? It's false. Not the end of the world. Is it geschmack to have a meat? Of course it's geschmack. But it doesn't mean anything ultimately. It doesn't take away from the truth of the action just because it didn't go through that whole process. I don't have, so you don't have, so I'm not enthusiastic. So what? Ayid came to the Balatanya and he said he used to give a lot of stucca for poor people. And he said, that uh, he was a dahoibana, you know, he was a sensitive person. He says, nothing is with an emiss. Nothing I do is with an emiss. It's all for ulterior motives. I like the cover, and I like the honor, and I like the satisfaction, and it feels good. It's nothing, nothing. It's all motivated by ulterior motives. There's no kindness there. So the Balatanya said, so what's the problem? He says, it's all sheker. It's a lie. It's not true. Just not emiss. It looks like I'm giving stuck. I'm not giving stuck. I'm just building my own ego. He was not aware of it. <laughs> so the Balatanya Zamaisi went into his bonus, he went into a contemplation, like to Advekas for a few moments. He would speak in a nigan, in Yiddish in a nigan. So he said, when he came out, he said, The piece of bread that the children are eating is a true piece of bread. The bread is a true piece of bread. <laughs> so you'll tell me from today till tomorrow okay, so work on your ego but the bread is real bread and it's very important why is it so important? because it didn't go through all the channels so it didn't go through all the channels don't, don't delegitimize it so I'm not feeling it I'm not feeling it, I'm feeling it this feeling and this feeling you gotta know which one to worship you got to know which one to embrace. Sometimes it can even be that the feeling, the, the, the midah is very, very negative, extremely negative. And that completely takes over. It doesn't have to take over. At every moment you can choose to follow your value over your emotion. 
This doesn't mean you repress your emotion. We're not talking about repression here. You understand that, right? No, I meant to talk. I'm not making it so simple. I'm identifying what he's saying here. That it's not, people expect seichel midis. It's not doesn't work that way. The world of seichel does not translate into the world of midis. <laughs> Just like you get married, you don't have a baby. It's a, <laughs> there's a tremendous process, right? A child looks and where did the baby come from? We picked him up from the closet. We opened the closet, there was a baby. Maturity means, you understand that there's a, there's a tremendous process. Today, maturity is a very young age. And part of our avoda is the recognition that if we do something even mechanically, that's achrei los nimshal. Yeah. 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 That's the best explanation. Yeah. 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 You're happy. Whenever you follow your values, you're happy afterwards. There's a famous. Ex- Thank you for the applause, Isaac. Let's not forget that. There's a word by Chesidna used to say, by every mitzvah, by every anaveda, by every one, by every act a person does, there's an ah and there's an oi. The question is only the order. The question is the order. Usually before a good aveda, before a good sin, is ah. This is going to be geschmack. An hour later, it's oi. It's oi. By a mitzvah, right, before the mitzvah, it's, oi, I'm really not in the mood of this. An hour later, ah. There's always an ah and an oi. Everything you do in life, the question is only what comes first, what comes after. And there's a partial reason for it. The temptation of the Avera was external. It wasn't coming from your inner core. It was delicious. It appealed to instinct. It appealed to a temporary, high, fixed number. It didn't appear to your holistic self. It did not appear to the totality of your values. It did not. It's not its power. That's what klipa means. It's a shell. You do it. You fell. I understand. We're human. But an hour later, I'm like, stupid. Why did I take that bite? Why did I say this? Why did I go here? Why did I do? I was stupid. I lost myself. In other words, I was not acting according to my true self. The other way is, I don't want, but you know what? This is, this is who I am. A value means this is who I am. That's what it means. This is who you are. Whenever you l- live who you are, you're not going to regret it. You know why? Because an hour later, you're still you. And a day later. And that's the difference between doing something in which you come closer to who you really are or you c- go further from who you really are. When you go closer to who you really are, the more the time passes, the more you appreciate it. When you go further from who you are, the more the time passes, the more you regret it. Is I typhus for stays dominion? Do you ever allow your feelings to dictate your values? Like that's a good question. That's a good question. Right, right. The answer to your question is twofold. Sometimes especially people who have been through a lot of trauma, have to begin with sensation. There's a famous uh, the book, The Body Holds the Score. In other words, sometimes truth lay only in the body. The person's mind is very, very confused. And they really have to begin with uh, sensation and, 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 and unravel their truth from there. That's Pasha, the feelings of the goof. B, I mentioned this is not about repression. Because the Midas will always give you tremendous information and they could become a tremendous source of data of what's going on. In other words, I may have tremendous resistance to following my value. I shouldn't follow that resistance, but I should wonder 
where that resistance is coming from. Because that will open me up to a lot that is going on inside of me in the relationship between the world of Seich and the world of Midas. There may be a blockage, not just a tzimtzum, a blockage. The water may not be able to transform. and There's a reason for it. So by noticing the Midas, or the lack of them, a person could really allow themselves a lot of awareness into who they are. So that's why it's extremely important not to ignore it, but to in many ways invite it, to respect it, to see what it is, because it becomes a tremendous source of information. Do you realize what you're just saying? It's so powerful in today's society. What you just said, the meetups have all the data. This is mamish exactly what Facebook does. They take what people check like, they take people what, check, what people check like, and from this they extrapolate back to try to reconstruct it. This is where they have algorithms. If they, if they have, they, if you, they have 140 of your likes, that's the equation. If they have 140 of your likes, they can already reconstruct your personality to know what kind of political ad will appear to your say. Wow. That's exactly what they do. They take the data in the mythos as measured by right. the like the post. Right. And they reconstruct your Right. To figure out their Assuming that what you press like on Facebook is really what you like, <laughs> which is a whole other question. How much do people really like when they press like? So no wonder they don't send anything. <laughs> That's the one advantage of not having a Facebook account, right? right. They don't send you anything because they don't know you. You typhus what I'm saying. Very important. So it's a no, it's a source of it's a source of awareness, a tremendous source of awareness. I shouldn't disregard it. But follow the value. Follow the value. Again, if a person is sometimes skewed, they must sometimes follow their sensation because that's their access to truth. Take a take a deep breath. Now following your value doesn't mean ignore your body. If a person goes to 39 weddings a day, they go to Borough Park, then Manhattan, then Flatbush, then Canarsie, then Farakaway, then the Five Towns, then Muncie, then Lakewood. You understand? Because they feel like doing it. At some point, they may not be human anymore. In other words, if the value is also coming from guilt, from sensations of guilt and all that, that's not a value anymore. We're talking about a value that also promotes your humanness, your life, your productivity. Right? If a person is, is, is going to run to the end of the world for a chasen and abandon their family because it's a value, it's at the expense of another value. So we're not talking about follow your value to the point of self-ruin and destruction. Then it's not a value. Then it's, it's, it's again, it's skewed. It's coming probably with a, with a lot of shame or guilt or you're busy with something. And then it's a whole, it's a whole different inyan. So you have to be careful with that too. And then, yeah, and, uh, very often the seicha will flow into midas. But the point is that there is a serious symptom that's needed. Atatafasta. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.